We all have big dreams, but far too often, we never give them a chance to come true. Well, that all changes today. Welcome to Just Keep Learning, where we'll help you develop the right mindset, be more productive, and learn more effectively so you can accomplish anything. Here's your host, Justin at Just Tries. Our guest today has built a few successful businesses. She had a passion for content creation, especially video from a young age that led to her first side hustle. And that grew into an agency, which eventually grew into a huge entrepreneurial career. We talked about this journey, learning, business, content creation, and achieving all of this success while being diagnosed with a rare form of a possibly aggressive cancer. Please welcome to interview 41, Marley Jacks. Beautiful. Well, thank you so much for doing this today. I mean, I I always like to thank guests first because I know that we're all really busy in the world of content creation, whether it's podcasting, YouTube, running a business, we all have so much to do and we all appreciate that time is really valuable. So first off, thank you so much for taking the hour to do this. It really does mean a lot. My pleasure. Happy to be here. I always love having a good conversation. Yeah. And I anticipate it will be a good one having seen your content for a little while now and just knowing values that I think you stand for. Maybe we'll learn more about that later on. One thing I love to give people the opportunity to do, again, in such a multi-passionate space, is allow themselves to introduce themselves. So if you came in to work with, uh, let's say, a high school class that I was teaching in the world of like entrepreneurship, who is Marley Jacks and what do you do? Yeah, um, my name is Marley Jacks. I have a YouTube video marketing agency. So I know that that always gets the kids excited because like every kid wants to be a YouTuber these days. And when I was growing up, I didn't have YouTube, but uh, I still had the fascination with filming and cameras. Like my dad had one of those big like camcorder cameras and I used to steal his camera. And on the weekends, I would vlog without like, it wasn't called vlogging back then, but I would just film document what me and my cousins or me and my friends were doing that weekend and turn it into a video or I would make little videos pretending I was like a newscaster and sharing the the news around the neighborhood. Um, and it's cool to think about how people will just start their businesses or go into a career that if you kind of connect the dots looking backwards, it was a hobby of theirs. Um, but I didn't start out that way. I first went into dental hygiene and it was kind of a fallback plan for me. It was like, I didn't really know what I wanted to be when I grew up. So, uh, dental seemed like a good career, something that you could get paid well. And uh, knowing that I really wanted to figure out what the next career was for me, it was something that I was like, oh, you don't take work home with you. You can't, you know, you clean your patient's teeth at the office, then you go home. So that was a good career while I was figuring it out. But in between in dental, I also worked in radio and television and event management and got to have a lot of experiences with celebrities and uh, and entertainers and things. And so I, I loved that world and loved being able to, to put people on a platform and share their message or share their art. Uh, and then so when I was in dental and found myself bored because you can't really be too creative cleaning teeth all day, uh, I started doing their social media and that was my creative outlet. Just I was just kind of telling stories of whatever was happening around the dental office, like the office goldfish or what one of the hygienists brought for lunch. And it got some good you know, responses just because it was personal, relatable, real. And uh, and then some other businesses around uh, started asking, would you, be, would you do my social media or can you do this for me? And I, I didn't know 
I was just like, yeah, sure, I guess so. Um, but next thing you know, I had had so much demand and it was turning into more than just a little side hobby. Um, and I realized that like, oh, I can actually charge good money for this. From there, started making videos for my clients, started making videos for myself. And that's what I really had the most fun in. And I got to turn my childhood hobby into a career. And now we produce YouTube channels for some big influencers and businesses of all kinds all over the world. That's a really solid summary. And I love there's so many things in there about like the journey of learning early on, learning from your dad, as you mentioned, about getting into filming and like you said, vlogging, but not really calling it that. And so many things that we could touch on because it's directly relatable to what you were just saying. I'm curious, a lot of people will probably have a similar exit, if you can call it that, from a mainstream job. What, when you started doing that, you said you realized that you could charge. Do you remember what you charged at first versus where it built up to where you could like make it a full-time thing? Like what was that path for you going from the dental hygienist job to being full-time creator? The funny thing is for me, I usually hear the opposite story where people charge really low and they're kind of working their prices up. And for me, I was the opposite because I had no idea what to charge. So I had a client that asked, you know, I want this many posts on social media and this is what I want and blow us up on these platforms. And I just thought about how much time it would take me to do that. And in addition to me working full time already, and I just, I threw out a number. I was like, uh, $2,000. And they were like, okay, sure. Awesome. And I was like, wow, cool. And then I went into these Facebook groups. I was like, well, if I'm charging money, I better learn what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I, I got the money first. And then I learned after I built the plane on the way down. And so I went into these Facebook groups with other social media managers and started asking them like, what are your routines? What are, what are you providing to your customers? How much do you charge? And that's where it became apparent to me, all these money false beliefs and these these social media managers who were like, well, so I charge 300, but I'm gonna, you know, maybe ask if they'll pay me 500. And I was like, whoa, I charged 2000. And they said yes, and didn't even hesitate at it. Mm-hmm. So I better deliver. And so I, I just uh, studied a lot. And I that was also my motivation to over deliver and create a really quality product. You mentioned the money mindset. So I'm curious, now would you look at 2000 and think that that's inexpensive? Or do you think that that's kind of like just right for someone getting started in that world? It totally depends on the service, depends on the deliverables. Because uh, I could say that 2000 is a lot if you're providing a little, or I could say that it's not enough. And for me, I'm, you know, I, I also help digital marketers or social media providers or, you know, and I, I'm often helping them with their pricing and want them to price in a way that it's expensively affordable to the client, that it's like, it's enough money that they, they've got that skin in the game. They're excited about what they're going to get in exchange for that value. Um, and also a happy price for the service provider that it's something that they've got skin in the game too and want to deliver the best value. Even if it makes them a little uncomfortable, it's like that's more of a motivation to provide the best quality. Right. And I know that a lot of this ties back to money in your YouTube content and some of the things that you share in your blog over the years. I know that that's something that you talk a lot about money mindset. What are some other things that you've learned when you mentioned that there's money blockers and you started realizing that in the Facebook group? Mm -hmm. I'm sure a lot of the audience is going through that themselves, whether they know it or not right now. So what are some other things that you might share or that you did learn in that journey to become uh, stronger minded when it comes to money? Yeah, I definitely grew up with parents who uh, they saved a lot of money and, you know, they're 
they're financially doing well because of it. And there was that little, you know, inkling in my mind too of like save money, save for a rainy day, you know, pinch your pennies, be careful with everything. If if there was a, an expensive price tag, you try to justify that you don't need it. But now going into business and being able to build a lifestyle that I love, I you know, I want to be able to enjoy my life with little luxuries. And when I'm paying for something that has to do with business, I'm also looking at it as an investment. I have a coach that I work with that I pay multiple thousands a month to work with and it is worth every single penny, but without knowing the result of that or what that brings me, uh, someone might look at that and go, oh my gosh, she pays him, you know, so many thousands of dollars a month or, you know, I've paid for coaching programs that are $50,000 and to someone who's never spent any money like that before or even know what that, the, what the result of that could be, could just look like, oh my gosh, that's a down payment on a house. Like how, how could you do that? But in understanding the return on that investment and how that also uplevels me as a person. I also ask myself when investing in something, can I afford not to do this? If I don't do this, what is the cost of that? Will I be stuck here in a year from now, two years from now, five years from now? And how will that feel? Will I miss out on an opportunity that could have brought me to my next six or seven figures? Could I miss out on a relationship that's going to change my life? And when you look at it that way, the price tag is just invaluable. I'm a huge fan of uh, well, many coaches and Rich Litvin's one of them who wrote The Prosperous Coach and how he really, you know, serves first. But when you look at the financials, you know, I don't think he has a client that pays less than a hundred grand a year. Wow. So that would sound like a ton of money to people. You know, I came, my dental hygienist version was being in the fitness industry as a personal trainer. <laughs> so I certainly sold personal training a lot, I guess, to use one term. And those are a lot of the things that definitely I would share with clients too. Like you said, can you afford to not do it? What I'm interested in too is like for you, that's a huge leap, obviously, from not having that money mindset to having that money mindset. So what helped you kind of learn? Did you read books? Were you listening to people? Was it just a whole bunch of things? I remember thinking when I you know, got my first clients and was charging them a couple or a few thousand dollars a month and thinking, if I don't deliver on this to the quality that they're pleased with and that I'm also proud of, that doesn't feel good to me. And so of course I'm willing to invest in myself to get that result. And it was it was just a kind of a game of permission and results of seeing if I invest in myself and I'm committed to it, I'm willing to put in the work to get the result, it will always pay off. So the question of can I afford not to do this falls back on me. I'm going to afford to do this and find a way no matter what, you know, borrow money. Sometimes there were certainly times where I put it on a credit card and was like, I'm just going to pay this off. I know I'm going to make, I know I'm going to find the money right. or sometimes, you know, borrowing from my parents or whatever it took. And I just, I was committed to getting the result and committing to doing whatever it took to get there. When my mindset switched to like, I can't afford this to, can I afford not to? And then am I willing to do whatever it takes to get the result? Now my mindset is anything that I invest in, I always 10x my return. Which is definitely a point that I'm sure a ton of people will love to get to. And I'm excited that this can help them a lot with that. Mm -hmm. um, speaking of journeys and kind of getting to different places, you, you mentioned growing up a bit. Before we get too far from the early part of the journey, I'd love to hear a bit about like what school was like to you, because obviously you're really good at learning now. What was learning and education for you kind of growing up? Like, did you enjoy school? What was that experience like? Yeah, I enjoyed school. 
I did well in school. I always, I had you know near straight A's or, or close to it. I, I did well. I, I didn't realize until I got into university that I was able to just like pick up, you know, I would get easy grades just by being in the classroom and I'm kind of absorbing. And then when I got to university and they give you like reading assignments and homework and stuff, uh, I realized that I couldn't get by just by listening in the classroom. Like I would show up to an exam and fail. I, I actually failed my first year of university. And I was like, what, like this question, you guys never talked about this subject. And they were like, it's in your readings. I was like, oh, you actually have to do your homework here. <laughs> and so I, yeah, I failed my first year of university and it was in my second year of university that I really learned how to learn. Mm. In high school, I could get by with just absorbing in the classroom. And and also in my second year of university, I, I learned that I do have a photographic memory that I could read something once and be able to install it enough that I could get by really well in the uh, in the exams. That was, that was quite the uh, rude awakening my first year of university to think like, oh, I got straight A's in, in high school and this is all good to, oh, I don't, I actually have to apply myself to learn. I actually have to do the assigned readings and, uh, and critically think about what the answers are going to be. Was the program that you set out into university and then failed first year, like, did you stick with that? And that's what became the dental hygiene? Or did you end up making a pivot? Yeah, that was dental hygiene. I actually changed schools, though. I started at the University of Alberta. I'm, I'm Canadian, so I went to school in uh, Edmonton, Alberta. And then um, I found a program where I could get my dental hygiene diploma in in 18 months instead of four years. So I moved across the country for that program and it was intensive. So it was a good thing that I had that first year of failure to learn how to learn because I was taking 12 classes at a time, plus had to get so many hours in the clinic and me being a creative person and knowing that I didn't actually want to do this forever. I also picked up some side jobs and I took like piano lessons and acting classes and stuff. And I was thankful that I had that opportunity to learn how to learn because while a lot of the girls were studying so hard and I I realized I had a photographic memory, I didn't have to work as hard, but I'd still get good results while still having the work-life creative balance that I wanted. Mm -hmm. I, I don't know, because again, with social media, it's hard to know what content comes through or if people share things or whatever. But I don't know if you knew that I was Canadian as well. Are you? Cool. <laughs> yeah. And it, it's I'm in Ottawa, Canada. So first off, I'm curious, where did you end up going to school? In Toronto. Okay. And I love Toronto. Loved it there. Yeah. Yeah. Toronto is a pretty cool spot aside from the Leafs. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, well, and what exactly? And uh, I was just editing a recent episode with Cara Ricketts, who's an actor who lives in New York City, but also is from, well, she's from Toronto area. Oh. But when we first hopped on the call, neither of us knew that we were both from Canada. So it's kind of funny how that happens. We just kind of meet together online. And then it's one like big, uh, massive community, I suppose. So that's interesting. Uh, you mentioned the idea of learning to learn a few times. And so, of course, that means different things to different people. When you learned to learn, what were the main things that you <laughs> learned? <laughs> I I mean, I was so grateful that I learned that I have a photographic memory. So where some girls were in, in my school, I say girls because mostly dental hygiene or majority women, we had like two boys in our class the entire time. The girls were pouring over their books and making so many cue cards and testing each other. And for me, I could just read it. And often in exams, I could recall the answer by knowing exactly where on the page it was. And I didn't realize that not everyone had that. So I just felt really lucky to, to be able to find that. And then when people were, uh, you know, testing each other with cue cards and stuff, I could just kind of recall it in my memory. Or if I just read it and really digested what I was reading, I could remember it. 
So that was like, that was really important. And also just realizing that for me to learn and actually install it into my brain and be able to, you know, shift my habits or behaviors or memorize it, I actually have to apply myself. I can't just listen to it all or like hope that me being in the room, it'll somehow install into my brain. I actually had to read it. And even if it was temporary, care about it to at least pass that test. Yeah, I appreciate that part. I think one of the underrated elements of learning is the ability to connect to emotions. So being able to, in some way, like you said, connect it, care about it, that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's neat. I, I love hearing about people's abilities to learn. Again, the show's called Just Keep Learning. But aside from just that growth mindset, lifelong learning piece, it's so interesting as more and more episodes happen that I realized that each of us have very different ways that we've learned to learn. I think you're the first person to actually bring that term up themselves. And so, cool. yeah, it was kind of cool to just hear like, well, what does learn to learn mean for you? And I think that's one of the most important things is that it's going to be different for every person, you know, um, sticking with that kind of school thing, but getting a little more modern, I suppose. Being as multi-passionate as you are, Mm -hmm. if you were to pick, say, like a a platform like Masterclass or Studio or Monthly or any of those things, Udemy, to create your own course, a curriculum that you designed today, what would be something that you would, if you created a course, what would be in that curriculum that you think would help if you just picked your favorite thing to kind of teach? I love talking about creativity and just where to find that and how to get into flow with what you're passionate about and learning how to monetize that. Cause I think that's the best thing ever. If you can turn your hobby into a career and monetize that, but also not lose the passion for it once it becomes a job <laughs> to know that like, this is really something that you get to provide to the world and not get caught up in the, in the have to do's that you still get to do this, this passion. I also think for, for young people, uh, learning just how to speak, how to deliver a message, teaching them a little bit of like attractive character school. Here's how to appear attractive on camera in content, how to deliver a message that just pierces people's heart and has them on the edge of their seat. And again, just how to enjoy the process while doing it, loving the the journey as much as the destination. Uh, how lucky are we that in this day and age, we can literally do anything. We can create a career from nothing. There are people who, you know, they can turn their hobby into a million dollar business. And um, to find excitement in it and not get stuck on the attainment of the goal, but really the the path on the way there. Well, I know one of the things that's in your bios is a business acceleration coach. There are so many things that connect. I guess that could be so many things, right? And so the idea of turning creativity into a business that, as you put it, people still love, that's definitely the challenge. And as far as I'm concerned, that's one of the most important things beyond our like fundamental values, family and relationships. Beyond that, it's like the most important thing that each of us can figure out, man or woman's search for meaning. And like you said, flow from Mihai Chicks and Mihai, like how do we get into that state? So I would love to stick with that because one thing I do is create a blog post from each episode. And usually it could be two things. It could be 20 things uh, in some cases, but the idea of kind of sticking with that, if you, if we did create that curriculum, then what would be some things that you would make each module about to kind of help people actually do that? Because I know a lot of people hear what you're saying and don't believe that it's possible. Totally. And that comes down to identity. If I were to teach people how to get into that flow state and and try to stay there, 
um, with all the distractions and the notifications that are grabbing for our attention. Uh, it's habits, routines, and identities. Like at the beginning of the year, when people are planning out their New Year's resolutions, instead of you know, just saying the goal of like, I want to create this. I also look at the identity of who do I want to be this year? So January this past year, I was like, who do I want to be? And so I wrote down athlete, entrepreneur, writer, and mom. And so those are the the identities that I want to be this year. And it's so much easier to do the things when it starts with the identity of who you are being. Because if you are being a writer, what does a writer do? They write. And then as a result, they have, you know, whatever creative works you're working on, whether that's a book or a vlog or a manuscript, like movie scripts, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. um, and same thing for me with like athletes. Sure, I could say that I want to lose this much weight or gain this much muscle or whatever the result is. But it first comes down to what would what's the behavior of the identity of an athlete? And if I can step into that identity, what does that person do instead of trying to do my way there? It first starts with who I am being. And so with with teaching any kind of results that people want, I always just go back to the identity of the person. Yeah. And I, I mean, it makes sense to me that that would be that first module at foundation again to ask where you kind of got that mindset from though because maybe it came from someone you know or a book or something you heard or like where did you learn that the first time i heard that was i think it was tony robbins um he talks about be do have who do you want to be what do you want to do to have what you want to have and then reverse engineering from there uh, and then one of my first coaches ever um his name was jim fortin he taught very much from that identity level of be do have first engineered like what do i have right now and who am i being that is attracting that and what what am i maybe attracting that isn't what i want because you're not going to attract what you want you're going to attract what you are so it also means having some you know real tough love conversations with yourself sometimes to see, am I complicit in creating the things that I say that I don't want? If so, where do I need to shift? Right. And one of the basic ways I put that for people is that so many of these things we want are external and we need to look at it from the inside out as opposed to the outside in. And that's a very simplistic way of breaking down the concept of manifestation or effective goal setting. But I really think that that idea that these things come from the inside out can help a lot of people. And then so assuming that people can do that, you know, maybe they understand that heading into this January New Year's and they become that athlete or writer when it comes to your strengths as a funnel hacker or, uh, you know, I know you have your recent business when it comes to mostly video leads. What are some of those things and I'll preface with asking that I appreciate as the expert, it can be so hard to like break it down into its basic skills, but because it's so foreign to people who are listening on this type of show, what are those concepts and kind of like what should people do as they start to build a business? Sure. Yeah. And in, in reverse engineering, what you want to have and the identity of the person that has that, I start to think of the routines and even study the routines of people in those industries that you look up to. Even if they're people that you don't, maybe you don't resonate with, or maybe you don't like all their values, or there's always something that we can learn, even if it's learning what not to do. Um, often if I choose mentors that I want to learn from, I'm obviously choosing people who have the result that I want. And I'd prefer to learn from a mentor that also has the lifestyle that I want too. I know that I'm someone that my family is so important to me. So 
I resonate more with the mentors, the leaders that also their family means a lot to them that we, you know, they've walked the path ahead of me that I want to walk in that same kind of pattern to the same similar outcome. So for me, it's like finding mentors, learning, breaking down the routines and habits and really installing those into your day. Some of my habits that I can't imagine breaking now because they just, they've become such routine and I know the result of it and the feeling of it. I get up at five o'clock and before, like if you would have, you know, 5 a.m. club, ooh, special, like, no, I'd be like, no, that's not for me waking up at that early. Like that's for the birds. Absolutely not. <laughs> and after finding that clarity that I was looking for in the direction I'm going, I get up excited to get to my computer, excited to work and exercising is like a treat for me because the the feeling I get from that little muscle soreness, um, I know that that can sound weird to some people, like you want your body to be sore. Yeah, it feels good. It feels like I've put in good effort and that I know that that soreness is gonna turn into strength and into more muscle. And it's like, it become, it, it can seem like a stretch until it becomes a routine and then it just becomes part of your habits. And that's the thing that I think people should strive for is turning them into habits so it's not like we said before not the the just the destination it's loving the journey are you a big morning routine person or like full day scheduled or are you a little more go with the flow like how do you approach that a little bit of both so for me my 5 a.m to about 8 or 9 a.m is uninterrupted flow so that's my time where obviously no one's up kids aren't awake people aren't on social media or in my slack or email needing anything right away so i get three or four uninterrupted hours to just work or learn or you know work on something for me, which I think that's another thing that I wanna throw in is business is a game of personal development. So understanding that and being able to commit to, if I don't have the business I want, it's because I haven't become the person who can run it yet. Mm -hmm. Committing to what does that mean for your own personal growth? Where, where are you being called to up level? Um, so like I said, those four, three or four hours of uninterrupted flow in the morning, I get so much done. And if I didn't have that three or four hours, I would feel reactive to the rest of my day. So I also know the consequence of me follow of not following my morning routine doesn't feel good for the next 12, 16, 18 hours. So that's also an easy kind of intrinsic now motivator that I'm just, I'm excited to do it because it feels good. And then from about nine till 12, I usually have calls. I, should, I say nine till 12, but it's actually usually like nine till five, but they're just off and on here and there, or I'll work with Steven or kind of have appointments or whatever. Uh, nine to five is usually like scheduled, time blocked, um, working with my team, working with clients. And then five to nine, typically at, at that point, I've, I've already been working for 12 hours or so and uh, have that time for me with the family, with the kids, with exercise, hanging out with friends, or uh, sometimes still just watching a documentary or learning or something. Just like to learn. Yeah, I love that. That's definitely true to the theme of this show. Um, you mentioned Stephen, and I know I would love to hear about the business partnership, and maybe that ties into this kind of follow-up next step that I have. And that's the idea that, again, as an expert when it comes to actually monetizing creativity, and I'm sure the answer is very specific to each company and each person, but somebody listening to this who's never built a business at all, when it comes to the business model that you guys share at Content for Leads, is that something Something, do you teach the same business model, I guess, to all of your clients or do you go into very individualized? Like if we get really pragmatic about helping people build their businesses, do you have a model that you follow or how does that part work? 
the system, the model is usually the same. It's usually just the content and then their sales systems that change. Like we have clients that are in all different industries. We have clients that are service providers, clients that are coaches, course creators, authors, e-commerce, multi-level marketing, network marketing, uh, real estate. And so it's the same system in terms of like create content that captivates an audience and generates a lead. And then from that lead generation, how we move them into lead nurturing, from lead nurturing into lead conversion, then into delivery, fulfillment, and then into upselling and reselling. Like it's really those five core functions. Um, but what changes is the voice, the messaging, the hook, the attractive character, obviously that's individual to each business. And I think where businesses can stumble is if they're trying to be someone else because there's so much content online and so many loud influencers. You sometimes you can get distracted in thinking this is what you should do instead of thinking this is who, who I organically and authentically am. Hmm. I love that. And one of the things that you mentioned as a possible module or course to teach was how to show up. I think you said confidently or as yourself in this online space. And so I'm sure that that's kind of what you're talking about there. When you started mentioning those definitions, love to stay there for a second, because again, breaking those down for people who have no idea, like literally people listening to the show have never heard of ClickFunnels, yeah. let alone what a funnel is. And then I know you guys have built your own model beyond that too. So if you could just maybe go a little bit slower and just mention that process for people, hopefully they'll hire you in the future. But if they're trying to start out in general on their own for now, mm -hmm. some of those things that you mentioned in terms of terms or terminology, like could you just break that process down in a little more detail for like a complete new beginner? Yeah. Well, I think business is to its core, just about building relationships and providing value for an agreed upon exchange in those relationships. So in building a relationship, I think it also first starts with you. When you're first creating content, you're not just creating content for an audience. You're also creating it for yourself. Uh, so when I hear from people asking like, you know, is it quality over quantity? It's both because the quality of the content is what's going to attract the quantity of it that also helps you to learn your voice and improve your quality so that you can reach that audience. So when it comes to uh, creating the content that builds an audience, you're also building the relationship with your own self, your own authenticity, and then having that resonate with the audience that you reach. And, and that at its very core is lead generation. So the people that are finding you, those are potential leads, meaning that they've been attracted to you and can potentially then move up into becoming a paying client. So we, we generate the lead, we build that relationship. And once they've started, once they've gotten to know us, then we nurture that relationship. And that's through delivering more value, delivering more content, providing more value. Think of it like if you met someone on the street, you're like, hello, shake hand. That is, you've generated that relationship. Now, nurturing is the next phases of the conversation and getting them into a place where they know, like, and trust you because people make purchase decisions based on the value that they got for free. And then also with how much they trust the person who's delivering it, that if they're going to exchange a dollar in exchange for whatever the thing is they're getting, they believe that the thing is more valuable than the dollar that they're trading. Uh, and that's conversion. That's when they trust you and they say, yes, this is going to be a, a trade that is worth the value. Um, that's converting the client or the, the lead into a paying client. Uh, and then from there is delivery, fulfillment, fulfilling on the promises that you made because it would be the worst thing ever. I don't know if I could sleep at night if I took someone and then didn't, 
provide what I promised. You know, <laughs> if you deliver well, then it's, will they buy more from you? Will they go into the next level of services that you offer? Um, or will they, will they buy again or talk about you to their friends and family? I really appreciate that you said that thing about it being the best, uh, worst thing ever to not deliver on a promise uh, for a paying customer because there's a ton of snake oil out there and all, so many different businesses get a really terrible reputation, I suppose. And so hearing that is pretty special because I think that that's one of the most important values that I stand for. And working with youth a lot, they're exposed to so many different ads and so many different offers that they sometimes get something that doesn't deliver or they almost get paralysis through analysis because they don't know what to trust anymore because there's, again, just so much kind of crap out there. But then there's good people like yourself who are building to really help people too. So I just wanted to pay that compliment there. Um, sticking with, or I guess going to your own, your, your specific business now, if you are helping helping people, is that by helping them create content, building the whole system, or is there different offerings that you guys have as a business? There's different offerings. And before I even answer that, I wanted to comment on something that I said before too about providing the best quality service. And also pointing out that if sometimes you don't get the thing that you were promised, or you don't always deliver the thing that you promised, it might not be for uh, malicious reasons, sometimes it, it is possible that you can grow too fast and that you need to slow down to speed up. I will say that I have certainly had um, you know mistakes in my business where I had every intention of providing the best quality service. I always want to over deliver, mm. but then sometimes things happen. Like we had an event where we sold more than we expected, which is like, oh my gosh, so awesome. But you kind of don't realize like it's, you can fail by growing too fast, by succeeding too much. And then from there, it's just about being like really honest in in your delivery and and in your communication, I, one of our values in our company is over communication with our clients so that they feel fully supported, even if there's things that we need to slow down on so they know that it's for the best reason. And so I just uh, wanted to add that, that I've certainly had times where um, I didn't fulfill to my expectations or that I bought something that didn't come to the expectations I had. And usually it's just communication that clears it up, just keeping your heart in the right place and holding on to integrity. As for your next question, about what we provide. I, I love entrepreneurs of, of all shapes and sizes. <laughs> what I mean by that is just like where, where they are in their journey, whether they're just starting or whether they're uh, advanced and, you know, celebrity entrepreneurs and they've you're totally crushing it, which I say that kind of with an asterisk that like, you'll never feel like you made it. <laughs> There's always new level, new devil. Um, even the, the businesses that I work with that are like 10 million or, or above in revenue, there's always problems. There's always uh, things in their business that are breaking because as you're growing, some of your systems have to break to adapt to that growth. But that's one of the most important keys of being an entrepreneur is just being flexible and able to adapt. Um, so the way that we work with clients is we have different systems and different price points. So people can work with us on a do-it-yourself like course level done with you coaching program or done for you service to help them with uh, building their business on YouTube and setting up all the lead generation and sales systems around their business. Some of that stood out there and, and thank you for going back to mention the values piece because I do appreciate what you're saying. I've had that experience as well. And I feel like that's what's unfortunate sometimes is that people get a snapshot of someone's character and then they can use that to paint their whole reputation. Yeah. And perhaps that's not fair, but I suppose it's a bit of reality that happens in, in every industry too, even as like athletes or something, you know, you see that one bad play and then people remember you for that if they were experiencing that at that time. So I, I definitely appreciate 
appreciate you going back and mentioning that. When it comes to other values, though, because you mentioned that that was one of the values over communicating in your company, we've talked quite a bit about values. Are there other ones that you have published or are you just saying values in general? Yeah, we have um, we have values in our company that uh, I'll see if I can remember all of them, but in the ways that we word them, we have this like pretty cool written manifesto that we we share as our company. One of them that another one I'm thinking of is extreme ownership. And so that means that like we take full personal responsibility for our successes and our failures. So we get to celebrate our wins as a team. And uh, and then we also as a team admit where we might have failed and and we we fail forward. We were committed to failing forward. Um, another value is we succeed through the success of others. And I I love that being part of our company culture because in our we have a daily huddle where we'll all just get on Zoom and we'll we kind of just go through our our daily metrics of like here's how the company is doing, just kind of full scoreboard of every department. Uh, and then we ask, does anyone have any constraints, anything holding them back from you know getting their their work done today? And uh, where are we winning? And then in the where we, where are we winning question, it's so cool that people just like shout out their their team members, and it's it's so exciting to see where you know we just call each other out for the successes that the other person is creating, and and then we feel that way about our our clients too. Like if our clients are, aren't succeeding and they've provided us, you know, good money in exchange for a service, we're constantly looking at how, how we can improve and grow. And what are the things that they're asking for that can help provide them value? Um, uh, over communication, like I mentioned, really important. And, and I, I first created that for myself because I, you know, want to be able to get a, a good feel on where everyone on the team is doing. And, and we have conversations that are, you know, more than just about, the work that we're doing, but also how we're feeling throughout it, whatever our personal goals. I, I talk about being able to create a, like a first class life in our business. And we want to provide a, a high quality, high touch service for our clients. And then I also want that to be reciprocated to our team members because I cannot do this alone. I, I, I had a business where I was a solo printer and doing it alone for a long time. And I realized that if I wanted to be able to reach more people, I had to first start by reaching people inside of a you know a small team and have have them help me to reach more people. And so I feel like if I take care of my team, they'll also take care of our clients. Um, and then lastly, another value that I speak to all the time publicly is commitment. And the line that I say all the time is commitment doesn't care how you feel. So if I feel tired or feel scared or feel imposter syndrome, commitment doesn't care how you feel. And so I take my commitments very seriously that if I say yes to something, I know that I'm going to follow through. And if I'm not sure if I can follow through, I don't commit to that. And I, you know, maybe, maybe next week, maybe next month, or ask me again later. Commitment is, is really important to me and is one of those values that I think of. Like when we talked about the identities that I want to be, all of them come down to commitment. Which I'm sure you learned and is another example of some pretty impressive learning because a lot of people don't learn that and that's kind of how they end up burning out. Um, before you were able to go beyond the solopreneur stage, I know one of those things that I'm sure you also learned was the ability to be more confident in content creation. And I didn't go back in like the far, far archives and like try and pull up your first video you ever posted or anything like that. But I know <laughs> naturally there's a journey, right? And again, for the audience, there will be a lot of people who have never created 
motivated because they're scared to create. You mentioned that helping people be more confident on camera is something that you like to teach. So for that person who's not at the stage of having a team yet because they're about to start at the solopreneur stage, what are some, if you gave any wisdom or insight to them based on the journey you've taken around being able to actually be a content creator, what would be some tips? And I still have to remind myself of these all the time because sometimes there's the pull of creating content that you think people want versus what I'm actually really interested in talking about. And I think that that's, yes, we want to be able to speak to where our audience is at, but I also think people will naturally come along the journey for with you if, if it's content that you're just naturally so interested and excited about. And I've had people say, well, what if like, I'm not good at delivering content and what if I'm boring? And I've kind of jokingly said like, that's great. There are boring people out there that are looking for other boring people. Like there are, there are people are always going to be out there. You know, there's people that are talking about neuroscience and gardening and about croquet or about hockey. And like, I I don't know many of those subjects, but like there is a whole community of of people out there that do. So it's really just, I think speaking to what you're interested in and finding the the voice that you want to speak it from. Do you want to speak it from an authority level? Do you want to speak as a leader? Do you want to speak as, you know, a trusted friend? Do you want to show your humor in it? Do you want to be very serious and stoic and just whatever's natural to you? Um, I think it's really helpful to look at other influencers and see what they're doing and see what you like versus what you don't like so that you're still you, you're not regurgitating. Like there's so many, I feel like when Gary V got huge, a lot of people just tried to be like Gary V. And there's a lot <laughs> that we can take from Gary Vee. But um, you also didn't see the 10,000 hours that he had to put in to become Gary Vee when he was doing Wine Library TV without anyone watching. But now like we get to grow faster because there's someone like Gary Vee giving us an example, but still find your own voice. And, and it might be cringy, but watch your own content because we have to learn from our failures and our successes and look at the analytics. And I know that the numbers game might sound sound boring to look at the data, but it's looking to see where are people liking this content? Where are they dropping off? What did you say at that exact point? Uh, did you say anything entertaining before that? Or did you say something offensive? I don't know. What do your thumbnails look like? What do you, what did you write in your hooks that are keeping people watching? And if you really care about your message and care about your audience and care about your own growth, we look at those things to see where, where we can improve. That's a really valuable response and I really appreciate it because again, adding that to that blog post, I know will help a lot of people. Uh, I love bringing up the Gary Vee thing. It naturally leads me to ask your opinion. I know it could be a rhetorical question on one hand, but in your opinion, where do you stand on the niche or niche versus not niche thing when somebody asks you for advice on that? Yeah, my, my thoughts... I started by trying a bunch of things and that's how I decided what I wanted to do. I also see the value in in saying, I'm gonna commit to this and I'm gonna go all in on this and work really hard at it. And I think that it's a fast path to cash or to to growth before I niche out. Exactly. So it's like, I don't know, it's like six of one, half a dozen of the other. For me, my journey was that I tried a bunch of things before deciding what I really liked and what I was good at. Because I think that's that's that little you know intersection point of like what do you like, what you're good at, what do you like, what are you good at, uh, and what do people need, and and it's finding that little piece in there. Because if I if I had gone all in on dental hygiene because that was the first thing that I chose, I I mean I wouldn't be here. So I'm glad that I tried other things. Hmm. Well, and that's certainly a special part of all of our journeys is that it can be so hard for people to believe. Maybe it gets a bit woo-woo-y, but the idea that our journey 
took us here. And, you know, and I know there's these different little reminders. And one of the things a few questions ago, you mentioned that you work with uh, entrepreneurs of all shapes and sizes. That made me think of a recent interview I did with Brendan Kane, author of 1 million followers, and he's got a couple different businesses, but one of his agencies, Hookpoint, works with everybody. And that actually surprised me in that interview. So then the fact that you said that too was maybe less surprising because I learned from him that you can still be a big successful company and work with people at all different stages of their own journeys. Anyhow, that's a a long-winded way to to segue to the fact that I also just was interviewing uh, the author of Myth of Normal. And the book Myth of Normal, I'm not sure if you've seen that yet, but it just passed Matthew McConaughey on the nonfiction audible list for the number one spot. Right. Yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. And the topic is that essentially this idea that we create a lot of the things, you know, in our lives. I know you mentioned it earlier that you need to do that check to see if you're subconsciously bringing something on yourself, etc. So when it comes to this idea of manifestation or mindset that underlies all of this, I would love to touch on this because I know that I can call you an expert in it, I think. Maybe it's not all of the content you share because you're big in business and marketing, but when it comes to mindset and how we create our experiences, what have you learned about that yourself? I've been writing on this for a while because I really want to be able to teach people about the stories that they hold. And this is important for in business too, understanding that the stories your audience is telling yourself, but I think it also has to come down to first self-awareness of your own stories. What stories are you telling yourself and are they true? How do you know that they're true? And what would happen if you shifted that story? If you can change your story, you'll change your life. So I don't know, I've I've been thinking about that a lot too, to think of what were the stories or the things that I believed about myself? What are the stories that my audience is thinking that I can tell a better story to help them overcome those false beliefs? You just made me think of something else. And that's the, uh, I see lions in a lot of your content. Does, Does a lion represent something for you? This, so this picture behind me, that for anyone watching the video, a picture of a lion behind me. And I, I saw this picture just walking through the furniture store and I saw it and just, it, I took a double take. I was like, wow, that lion is so stunning. Put it in the cart, knew I needed to have it, brought it home. I always had it outside my office. And and I just, I love the way that this lion looked. And I would like talk about it in my content sometimes on my Instagram stories. I'd be like, oh, here's the lion. Good morning, lion. Going to my office, do, do, do. And jokingly, people would be like, what did you name the lion? And I'm like, you can't name that lion. Like it'll take away its power. It's just the the lion. Like, I, what are you going to call that thing? Like Leo? That, that's not a Leo. I don't know. It's just, you, you can't give it a name. It'll take away its power. And in uh, 2019, 2020, I went through a divorce. I was married. I was with him for six years, married for three. And uh, our marriage ended. And of course, like no one goes into marriage for it to end. It was a pretty devastating and traumatic time for me. Um, at that time, it was pretty crazy. I was I was on a career high while also going through a, one of the biggest transition of my life. Um, I was about to speak at Funnel Hacking Live in front of an audience of 5,000 people. Just being asked to speak at Funnel Hacking Live is such a huge honor. Like this this community means so much to me. It's a dream to be able to, to give back to my community and step on that stage and have that level of exposure and, and audience to serve. And so I was three weeks away from speaking at this event and I'm with my mom and I, you know, going through all the ups and downs of, of my divorce, which at the time was like really messy. And I had this picture of this line and I also had at the time as my phone background. And I was like, mom, I'm about to, to speak on this stage in three weeks and I don't 
want to go on with my married last name since my marriage is ending and no one at this point, like I hadn't even announced it publicly or anything. Um, and I was like, you named me once. Can you name me again? Like, just, just pick a name for me. I will just, whatever you say, but I want the name to make me feel the way that this lion makes me feel. I showed her the picture on my phone and no joke. 30 seconds later, she says, Jax. And I'm like, where did that come from? What Jax? Like we'd never even heard that name before. It's not like it's anything in the family, anything. She's like, I don't know, it just popped in my head. So we Googled it and the name Jax means someone who can overcome any obstacle that comes their way, which was very fitting for the time. And so we played around with the autograph and I was like, one X, two X's? She said, no, two X's. And it was one of those things that like, when you're making a big life decision, such as your name, <laughs> uh, I usually I like to ask people their thoughts or opinions, but this one, it was like, that's it. That's the name. So my mom named me and I shared that story about the name and just about this picture of the lion. And when I shared this story publicly, there was a video even on my YouTube channel of me addressing it was the first time that I announced publicly that my marriage was ending and that my name had changed. And just from that story, my my audience online latched on to that lion symbol for me. Huh. And I started getting little gifts that had lion lions on it. And anytime someone would post on media about me, they would put this picture of the lion and, um, and it just became the symbol unintentionally. And right. you know, it means a lot to me. I also got, um, the day after I spoke at funnel hacking lab, I also got a tattoo of a lion and in the main, very closely, if you look very close, you can see that it says Jax in the main. That is a special story. It's also a good parallel to the idea of building super fans. Like you said, organically by accident, that lion yeah. becomes part of your own personal brand. I love the hashtag you use too, speaking of personal branding, getting jaxed, <laughs> because it just makes sense, right? I think I love it for obvious reasons. You mentioned the idea of being able to overcome anything and that that's what the lion stands for and what you stand for. One thing that I know you've shared fairly recently, and, and I don't know if you've always shared it, but about your battle with cancer cancer and that whole journey for yourself. I know that we don't have enough time to do a deep dive on that topic this time around, but I would hate to gloss over that because I know that the way that you've shared about it with Grace has been really helpful to a lot of people. So maybe I'll leave it with you in terms of duration, but if you share a bit of what you learned from that, your experience overcoming that obstacle, what was that like for you? That was another blindsiding moment of my life. It was the weirdest timing to, I mean, anything, it's not like there can ever be good timing for that. But um, we were just buying a house. We were just starting this brand new business. And it was funny, we actually, not funny, but we got, I got the call from my doctor telling, giving me the diagnosis the day that we found this house that I'm actually in right now. And so it was this like really special time to be able to come into this house later that day when we were looking for the house. And, and my, my boyfriend says, do you feel like, is this a house that you can see yourself healing in? And it really did. That was the next phase of our journey. So yeah, I was diagnosed with um, cervical adenocarcinoma. So meaning mm. like in the, the glands around my cervix, the doctors were saying like, you have to go for the surgery. And funny enough, just with, with business, I scheduled it a couple months later because of like campaigns and I had an event coming up and it was weird to have <laughs> to schedule around work, but just, you know, I needed to stay committed to what I said I was going to do and just thought I'd give myself a little bit of time to also let this information sink in. Right. And thankfully I did because over some time I just, I, I have friends online that are, um, what, one of my friends, uh, his name is Chris Wark. He has a blog and a book 
called Chris Beat Cancer, has an amazing YouTube channel about how he healed cancer naturally. Hmm. And uh, I have some amazing friends that are functional medicine doctors, naturopaths, and like, I'd kind of heard about this, but never was faced with anything personally for me to dive into it. Right. Um, so I had a call with Chris Wark one day and I told him about my diagnosis and um, he was very just like, hey, you know what? If you are willing to change your lifestyle, you can heal this naturally. And I was like, what? No, I can't change my lifestyle. Like, what does that even mean? I'm thinking that I'm like, I'm trying, if he's telling me to go like all granola or <laughs> hippie or vegan, like, I don't, I'm like, this sounds way too overwhelming. I can't, like, I, all I can do is have the surgery and do what the doctor told me. Um, and at this time, like I was so overwhelmed by emotions that, you know, I was, I was kind of just coping. Uh, and at times definitely being a victim of my circumstances at the time. Hmm. And, uh, all he said on that call was, he's just like, you have time and I'm here for you. And I'm so glad that it was just so, like such a subtle message of just, you have time. If you're willing to change your lifestyle, you can heal this naturally. That was all I needed. Hmm. And luckily I did have time before my surgery um, that uh, I just, it started, I started thinking about it a lot. And one of the ways that I also cope is like overindulging in research, <laughs> like finding a lot of research papers. And with my you know little health background, I was able to read like research papers and really understand the medical journals and, you know, things that you don't just find on the first page of Google. And uh, I joined a Facebook group of women who had uh, hysterectomies because that's what they, they wanted me to do. And uh, was like seeing just straight from these women what their experience was like. None of them had the type of cancer that I had. Mine was rare, but all, for whatever reason, they had their own hysterectomies and started doing research on, you know, what happens after a hysterectomy, the side effects or consequences, um, started to do some more research on like healing cancer and alternative therapies. And I eventually decided, you know, it was a tough decision. I remember walking into Steven's office and being like, if I do this surgery, is that like the easy way out? Like, am I not fighting the right fight here? Am I waving the white flag by just having this surgery, doing what I'm told? Like, hmm. I'm an entrepreneur and I'm already wired to do things differently. So I started to just really think about, I don't know what the right decision is. And so I, I, put, I pushed off the surgery one more time so that I give myself a little bit more time. And I decided that no matter what way I'd go, like I was going to go all in. If I was going to have the surgery, I was going to go all in on it. If I was going to try to change my lifestyle and heal as naturally, I was going to go all in on that too. There was no wrong answer and I, I was not going to have regrets. Wow. And so the next thing I did is I looked, uh, I went to one of my friends that was a functional medicine doctor and we did this incredible testing that I think that like every entrepreneur should do, really every human should do because it's more than just what your regular doctor will test you for. It's more than just blood tests and whatever, like she did a full blood panel on like every organ in my body, all the different nutrition, like nutrients and minerals and imbalances and everything in my body. Um, hair, like we did a, a hair test to find like the toxins and stuff in my, uh, in my hair, um, different urine tests and things like that. And what I got back was like this booklet on everything going on in my body. So it showed me, 
you know, some imbalances where I was uh, depleted in some areas. It showed me uh, things going on in my liver, in my brain. And um, the biggest glaring thing that it showed me is that there were heavy metals built up in my body. And most people hearing that would think like, what? Like, why? Where do heavy metals come from? And it was shocking to find that they're just in our environment. Like it's in our water. It's in our shampoo. It's in our cleaning, in our laundry detergent. It's in our food. And it was such a rabbit hole for me to just go down this path and realize like, I'm just, you know, unknowingly consuming poisons, toxins, metals in my environment. Mm -hmm. I heard this question asked once, um, how does a hurricane form under the perfect conditions? How does a hurricane go away under the perfect conditions? Same thing for cancer. How does, a, how does cancer form under the perfect conditions? So I unknowingly had created an environment in my body that created cancer. And so now armed with this knowledge, can I now choose and be committed to creating an environment to heal cancer, knowing all this information. Because if I just went for the surgery and we removed body parts, the environment would still stay the same. If I did not know the things to remove from my environment or the new healthy foods to be eating, and where it first seemed overwhelming to change my lifestyle, once I armed myself with this knowledge, it was like, it became a new identity. It shaped just new behaviors that weren't easy, but simple. And uh, I had a pretty strong motivator to, to do those things, especially when you find out like, you know, what's in our tap water. There's a, the EWG database where you can look online, you can type in your zip code and it'll tell you what's in your water. In Boise, Idaho, where I am, there's like 900 times the uh, safe amount or the legal amount of um, arsenic, chloroform. Wow. And, and, and so many other chemicals that I can't pronounce the names. And legal, legal doesn't mean safe, but it's in our water. And if people don't have a good water filter, we're just drinking it, bathing it, washing our clothes and produce in it. Um, so it was a big rabbit hole, but uh, I changed everything in our environment. I became more conscious of the foods that I'm eating. Uh, I didn't have to go vegan, but <laughs> I did change you know, the quality of food that I eat and uh, the information I consume too. And um, seven months later, uh, my, I went back to my doctor that diagnosed me and she was very much encouraging, Marley, you need to go for the surgery. And it's you know a ticking time bomb and this is really important so it doesn't get more aggressive. And I, you know, I felt a little insecure getting that information again. And I always, you know, wanted to make sure I was doing the right thing. Of course, it's my health, it's my life. Um, but she retested and it came back no evidence. Um, there are still, with my functional medicine doctor, there are still cancer markers in my blood. Um, and so we're still working on that, but they've come down significantly. And uh, I, I mean, I've changed everything and I can't unknow what I know now. And it's only going to improve my life and be able to help my family and, and everyone else that I can share this story with. So I've been eager to talk about it a lot on my YouTube channel to help other people because, I mean, I know where I was at at the time when I was originally diagnosed and it was like overwhelming. But, you know, one step at a time, it doesn't have to be.
Yeah, and that authenticity tied with like solid content creation and then really helping people beyond only business. And I don't say that as a slight to business because I think that's important. But of course, when it comes to life, we could probably agree that it's one step more important or they're all connected anyways. One thing that for me where I really relate to this is that growing up, I had a ton of health and death anxiety for that matter, but real big health anxiety. And in the last few years, I've lost both of my younger brothers. That would be a whole podcast episode too. But um, similar to the book I was mentioning, Myth of Normal, the idea that a lot of these things exist in our environment and then we come to believe them to be normal, whether it's how we feel or illness and mental health, we start to feel like they're normal when really they shouldn't be normal at all, like the tap water or whatever else of the factors. Again, I know it's a huge rabbit hole and we won't be going down the massive rabbit hole, but you mentioned the environmental things and I think a lot of people could look those up for sure and they're very specific to maybe geography and lifestyle. But when it came to the nutrition piece, you mentioned you didn't have to go vegan. What was the the nutrition or lifestyle? Like was sleep involved or what were the, the lifestyle things that you did? Yeah, definitely the quality of food. So like now it's a lot more organic um, the meats that I eat, I know that a lot of, uh, cancer patients or just people trying to be healthier, they'll avoid meat. Um, I think that animal protein is good and important to have. That's my own opinion. Uh, and of course, follow your own recommendations or whatever. Um, I think the quality of that is important. So we actually have a local butcher that, uh, that we buy locally from, uh, same thing with, if we do get anything from the grocery store, it's organic grass fed. Uh, we went to Alaska last summer and we have a whole freezer full of salmon that we caught, like we caught it from the ocean ourselves. Hmm. So just the quality is really important. And um, uh, also just some of the ingredients that is in our grocery store foods, like natural flavorings, like avoid that food coloring, those dyes, avoid that canola oil, avoid that uh, sucralose, avoid that. Like there's so many things that you just start to learn. Um, there's a really great app called Bobby Approved. Uh, you can get it on your phone. It's free. And there's a, a function in it where you can scan a barcode and it'll pop up and tell you if it's this guy who created his name is Bobby. Bobby, like I don't even know him, but we talk about him every day in my household. Like even the kids ask like, is it Bobby Approved? <laughs> um, you scan the barcode and it'll say if it's Bobby Approved or if it's not, it'll tell you why it's not. And it'll also give you suggestions for something similar to it so that you can get that instead. Um, so finding that it became so much easier. I, especially for um, cancer, vegetables, cruciferous vegetables, onions, garlic, leek, um, like those are really great cancer killing uh, vegetables, food, um, and really Chris War calls it overdosing on nutrition. Hmm. I love that concept. As someone who's really interested in addictions and that topic as well, I certainly love the idea of pivoting to a healthy addiction, as I often share. There are so many of these things that I feel like could become individual episodes, and that always happens on this show. I really appreciate you sharing all of these things. I often do like a thematic wrap up where I'll ask three rapid fire questions to kind of wrap the show. Before I do, though, I would love to just ask you if you felt like with these topics, there's anything that uh, we'd be missing out if if you didn't touch on or an opportunity to share something else that you have. Sure. I'll add a little bit to, I mean, I think it's, it's overall, I, I've had some tough times in my life as everyone does. Um, and I've chosen to just see that 
stress as a prerequisite to success. And there have been times where I felt like maybe I wanted to shy away or kind of hide in the shadows while I overcame some of the challenges, um, but also felt really fulfilled in pushing through and still showing up for my audience because helping people doesn't stop just because your life isn't perfect. No one's is. Um, there certainly have been times though, where I did take a break from creating content or being on social media. And I know it's kind of funny. Sometimes people can say like, you have to show up for your audience, even if you don't feel like it. Or sometimes people can be kind of weird and get offended if you take a break as if you owe them anything. Um, but for me, it, I, I consciously decided to take a step back and some of those times up would not be authentic in that moment. Um, so then that was really important for how I back stronger. Um, and so, yeah, that, that was just something I wanted to share to, uh, to just point out that like, it's really important that, uh, we take care of ourselves first. Self-care is really a gateway to success. That may segue or cancel out the first theme question, but <laughs> if you were to leave one piece of advice for the next generation, and I know that you have a family that you certainly would love to leave tips for, what would be a piece of advice that you would leave for the next generation? My favorite quote is, like I said before, commitment doesn't care how you feel and just deciding to be a committed person. I can't think of anything that could go wrong from that. If you are just fully committed and however you define that, I define that as like not taking your successes or your failures personally. I, I define that as getting up and doing it anyway, even if it hurts, even if you don't feel like it, because commitment doesn't care how you feel. You know what's super cool about that quickly is that the thing that you just said, you know, but 90 seconds ago was the idea of taking a break when you need it. And so I love how that's not really a paradox, but it's like figuring out for yourself and defining that and then determining what commitments you make based on self-care, but then seeing them through. So it's almost like the best of both worlds, which is really neat to have those answers kind of back to back there is I commit to showing up my best for my audience right? and just committing to showing up to the best of my ability. That's huge. Uh, so then the second question is uh, something that you are learning or want to learn yourself right now. I am super committed right now to learning how to be a better content creator. And I know that that might sound kind of funny because I just create content all the time, but I want to be better at it. And I'm studying what a lot of the content creators that I admire are doing. I'm studying their output, how they're able to put out such amazing, prolific content at what appears to be high volumes. What are their systems behind that? What are they learning that they just come across so wise and well-spoken? And how do I do it? Yeah, at speed while also maintaining the other areas of my life that I want to be present for. That's amazing. There's no wrong answers on this show for sure. However, one thing that I often notice is that people tend to do something very novel or unique for that, right? Like I'm learning jazz flute or how to dance. And so I think that's really interesting because as you say that, I'm like, well, Taylor Swift may answer that songwriting is something that she's still learning. And I think that certainly shows the level to which your expertise will continue to grow, which is awesome. Uh, kind of a classic thing to give you the microphone and especially because you're good with content creation and messaging, and as you said earlier, hooks and how we're showing up in the world. If you were to ask me a question that my answering might help bring some clarity, what would a question be that you would ask me? Hmm. You mentioned um, that you, I don't know exactly how you worded it, but you talked about uh, health and about death 
and mentioned that you lost your brothers earlier this year. And that seems like, you know, some really tough stuff to go through. How did you push through? How'd you persevere? A very weird slash funny thing that's brand new because this just went up today. There's a painting behind me and I realized for audio only, you can't see it much like the lion we talked about earlier, but the painting of this forest behind me actually has both of my brother's ashes in the forestry of the painting. My dad made that, gifted it to me just this week, and I put it up before we went on air for this episode. So that's a complete aside. However, it leads into the answer, which to me has been creating and going more full speed with this show and the different ways that I can pay tribute to them. In the micro for Shane, I made a YouTube video in partnership with a pretty successful hip hop artist who made the music for it. And then for Ryan was a poem that hasn't been shared publicly, but was said at the funeral and maybe I'll publish someday. Uh, But I was somewhat well-equipped knowing that turning to our Mm -hmm. the right side of our brain, the creative, the outlets was going to be super important. And answering on a podcast like this may come across as though it was easy, similar to how you summarize your, your cancer journey. It's not easy. But that's one of the ways that I was able to do it. And I would probably add, it's not easy, but it's simple. And that's one of the simple things I think people should do in their grief journey. One of the hard things at first was a lot of the health anxiety coming back because I was worried about, you know, if I've lost both my younger brothers, when's my turn? Mm -hmm. And thinking of my daughters and if I'll be able to see them graduate elementary school, let alone high school or college. And that existential piece becoming like a smack over the back of the head. <laughs> but within the first couple of years, pivoting that from a negative to a positive of like, I need to create now yeah. in the event I am gone, people can see those breadcrumbs. Yeah. I-, I grew up in a funeral home. There's longer answers too, but I think that's the summary. Knowing a lot about grief when it coincidentally happened. Yeah. Well, and so cool that you've been able to shift that into, into serving others with what you've learned and making the most of of being able to contribute to the world while you're here and making meaning from your brother's passing and making the most of what you have left. Thank you. And thank you for asking because I'm sure just through common sense, a lot of people have wanted me to ask me that Mm -hmm. over the last couple of years and have shied away from it because they were a bit nervous. And uh, so thank you for asking because I think these are important conversations because we'll all go through these challenging times and uh, having others help us is definitely, like you said, uh, serving. So thank you for asking. Uh, The last question is always uh, where and why might people find you online? I would love if people would find me online at uh, YouTube or Instagram.com slash Marley Jacks, my YouTube channel. I'm putting up new episodes all the time and learning how to be a better content creator and more creative over there and just really expressing what I'm interested in. And hopefully people come along for the journey. And then on Instagram as well, I feel like Instagram is just, you know, I can be super candid and show like, here's what I'm doing right now. And um, I like to be funny on there and try to be a stand-up comedian on my Instagram stories. At least I laugh at my jokes. I think I'm fun. So, and I respond to all my messages there myself. So if anyone wants to reach out, uh, I'm the one that responds there. Yeah, that's great. I, I can definitely attest to that. I love your stories and love the way that you show up on social media. So thank you so much for taking the time to do this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Thank you. 
JKL listeners, thank you so much for being a part of this incredible community. Thank you to our guest today, Marley. She always shows up for her audience, and that was definitely the case on this episode. As always, we love getting your DMs or texts about the show. If you have any input on guests or topics, don't be shy. Just let us know. Until the next episode, all the best. And remember, just keep learning. You're one step closer to making your big dreams come true, but there's plenty more where that came from. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode, and if you know anyone who might love the show, send them a link. We'll see you next time on Just Keep Learning with Justin at Just Tries.